message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. price break is at the end of December. That's when it goes up uh, to uh, be slightly more expensive. We've taken a decision to put that date back to the end of January because we're getting some feedback from, uh, from some churches that it was difficult to promote things at this time of year because of the sort of Christmas rush. And uh, so we looked at that as a team this week and decided to put it back to the end of January. So if you booked in already, then that's good. You've got our price. Well done. If you're about to book in, uh, you still can do, but you will have until the end of January to get it at the cheapest price, and you can pay by installments this year as well. So if you're going to pay for it all in one go, you've got an opportunity to do that and pay for it um, by installments. So all the details that you need are online, and there's a little card that's on the welcome table outside that looks like that. That will give you a bit more information and um, give you some information on how to book in, etc. So that's good, isn't it? So if you haven't booked in yet, uh, you can do that now. Or you, if you do it after Christmas, you'll be okay providing you get it in by the end of January. Okay, I've got one other thing. Uh, Paul, if you come back up here and bring Natalie with you this time, please. Drum, oh, I was going to say drum roll, but I've lost my drummer. He's disappeared. He's run off. Oh, yeah, that's no, very good. Thank you. Excellent. Spot the drummer. <laughs> and a symbol at the end. Oh, very good. Excellent. Give these guys a round of applause because they have been leading a life group in Chatterston for the past 312 years. <laughs> Approximately. But it's certainly been a while, hasn't it? It has, it has been a while. And uh, they've taken the decision that the Chatterston Life Group is going to end at the end of this year. And they are going to take a break from leading Life Group for a little while, maybe a couple of days or so. Um, but we just wanted to honour and thank Paul and Natalie because you guys have led faithfully and done really well with this group. And numbers of people have been, been in and out of your group over the years. And uh, you've served really faithfully in that. So we want to honour you and thank you and uh, give you a little card, which you can open at some point. But let's share our appreciation to these guys. So if, you are, if, you're in your, if you are in their group, you'll have known that anyway. So it wouldn't have been a complete surprise. And uh, obviously talking about uh, other opportunities in different life groups that some of you may be looking at if you're in their group currently. Um, but if you would be interested in leading a life group, we're hoping to start a couple more in the new year. If that's something you might be interested in doing, uh, helping to lead one of our small groups, uh, thanks guys, you can escape off stage now. Uh, if you come and see me afterwards, if you're not something you're doing at the moment, but you might be interested in finding out a little bit more about that, we're probably going to run some training in the new year for that as well. Uh, then come and chat to me, and uh, I'd love to talk to you about what's involved and how you might be able to be part of starting a couple of new groups in the, in the new year. But for you, you guys, thank you for all that you've done, and uh, well done for doing it so faithfully over many years. So if you were here last Sunday, 
Uh, you'll be, you remember we had our youth-led service last weekend, which was quite an event, wasn't it? And uh, we had some new, young, trendy preacher. Who I can't see. Has he just run off somewhere? He's just disappeared. He's on youth. Okay, because he's young and trendy and does that sort of thing. But uh, Sunday was, was great in preaching, and Tim and the team did an outstanding job in, in making last Sunday happen. So um, some of our youth leaders have gone out already. I meant to thank them before they left. But um, if you were involved in that, thank you so much for the work you put in. Uh, I know as a parent, you uh, put a lot of work in uh, with our youngsters. So thank you for that. Great Sunday. Really, really enjoyed it. And um, now we're moving on in our next section in Acts. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn, please, to Acts chapter 11. Sandeep last week looked at Acts 10, and um, we're going to move on this week to Acts chapter 11, working our way through the book of Acts. And the first part of this, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you'll know the first part of this chapter is really Peter looking back at what had happened and explaining his actions. So it's like going over the same thing uh, again. So we're going to read it, but we're not going to particularly preach from that um, part of the chapter other than to make a few brief comments because it's really Peter explaining his actions as to, to what he did and why. It was such a radical uh, step and we'll, we'll look at that in, in a few moments and then the, uh, the account moves on. So let's read together Acts chapter 11 verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. And these six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and your Holy Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance. That leads to life. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. 
Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what they saw the grace of God has done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did by sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. Thank you, you've spoken to us so clearly already this morning. And we thank you now for your word you're speaking to us from this book of Acts. And we pray as we spend these moments looking at it together that, Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? Come and apply what we've read. Help us to understand it and put it into action. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in the first few verses then of Acts 11, as I said, you've got Peter explaining what had happened, giving an account of what happened. He was staying in Joppa when he had this vision. And what then happened at the home of Cornelius in Caesarea? Now the Jewish believers were shocked at his actions. And to be fair, if God hadn't given Peter the vision in advance, he would have been shocked as well. It was so outside their comfort zone, so different to what they were used to. They were so steeped in Jewish history. They hadn't yet realized that the gospel was meant to go further, to outside their Jewish community, to the Gentiles as well. Yes, the Old Testament prophesied this, but they were so steeped and caught up in their, in their own history that they hadn't quite seen it. And so God needed to intervene in quite a radical way, which is what he did. So we all take it for granted, don't we? We sit here thinking, well, you know, I'm guessing for most of you this morning, you are not from a Jewish background. Some of you may be, but the majority, I'm guessing, are not from a Jewish background. So for you, you're thinking, well, of course. Yeah, the gospel's gone to the Gentiles. That's why you're here, because you've responded to it. But for them, it was so different, so radical, not what they were used to. So Peter then gives an account of his actions. He has to sort of explain himself as to what was going on. And what's the result? We read about it in verse 18. It says, when they heard this, when they heard Peter's explanation, when they realized what God had done, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance. That leads to life. 
That's some good news there, isn't it? Even to those of us who are not from a Jewish background, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And whilst initially they struggle with the concept, once Peter explained what happened, how God gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as he had done to the early Jewish believers, they had no further objections. Praise God. And everything was different from then on. It's interesting, isn't it? They were quite accusatory to start with. You know, they criticized Peter, saying, What were you doing? Why do you do this? But God allowed them to have soft hearts that were open to change. And very quickly we read that once they realized that God was in this, then they rejoiced about it and were thrilled about what God has done. There's a lesson here for us, isn't there? When God does something new or outside of your experience, that is different maybe to what you would have expected him to do, but clearly in line with Scripture and what he'd said previously, what's your response? When there's something that's outside your comfort zone, how do you respond? Do you have a soft heart and allow God to speak to you just as he did to these believers? Or do you react? I want to encourage us all to be open to growing as God, allow, God, God does new things amongst us. Be open to change. Be open to what God wants to do with us and through us and in us. As the gospel went to a new group of people and there had been salvation, they praised God and rejoiced in it. And friends, I want that to be our reaction too. As God does new things amongst us, I want us to praise God and rejoice in it. Amen? So let me get to, uh, to verse 19. We're told that those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out traveled and went to some different places. It's interesting, even though they were scattered, they weren't in hiding. So even though they went to some different places, they weren't ashamed of their faith. They weren't in hiding over it, but were clearly spreading the word, Luke tells us. And some of them, it seemed, went to Antioch. The gospel was still going to the Jews, but now it started to go to the Gentiles as well. Antioch was the first majority Gentile church. And it was an entirely appropriate place for this to occur. It's a city whose population would have been around about half a million people. A city that was founded by one of the generals of Alexander the Great. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, called Antioch the third city of the empire after Rome and Alexandria. And its population included Greeks, Jews, Orientals and Romans. It was quite a cosmopolitan city, quite a vibrant place to be, I'm sure. And so after the preaching of the gospel there, we're told that many people believed, verse 21, a great number of people believed. Now I know this is early days in the gospel going forth, 
But isn't it great when you read about a great number responded, a great number believed? Don't you long for that again? Don't, doesn't, that, doesn't that do something in your heart? You think, God, wouldn't we see that again? That in our day, in our time, we could write something like, a great number of people believed. Aren't you praying for that? Aren't you asking God for that? Friends, I want to suggest that doesn't only have to happen in Bible times, but it can happen in our time. And I'm asking God for it to happen in our time and our day and this place that many people will believe. Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. And we, we see in verse 21 that we're told the Lord's hand was with them. The Lord's hand was with them. The great number of people believed. I, I love that phrase. I wonder, does it remind you of any other phrase in Scripture? Reminds me of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 8 says, Because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Nehemiah 2 verse 18. I told them about the gracious hand of my God and what the king has said to me. I remember John preaching on those verses. Some of you may have even been here some time ago. See, when God's hand is on you, amazing things can happen. For Nehemiah, it was an incredible reaction of the king. For these believers here, there's response to the gospel as God's hand is on them. What does that mean? So we can ask for God's hand to be upon us. His hand guides. His hand blesses. His hand is good. And I guess what we're describing is really his presence. His presence guides and blesses and is good. And when you're operating under the, the covering of his hand, operating out of his presence, it's a safe place to be, isn't it? Because you know you're in the will of God, what he wants you to do. Doesn't mean that life is going to go easy. I mean, the believers here were scattered because of persecution. Doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. But it does mean that he's going to be with you. Scripture's real clear about that. It does mean that he's going to be with you. And so we find that what was happening in Antioch reaches the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Great phrase, isn't it? So what do they do? Well, they send Barnabas to go take a look to go and see what was happening, to check it out, and to encourage them. I'm sure they would have wanted to ensure that correct doctrine was being preached, that it lined up with the apostolic doctrine that had been given to the early church. The apostles had that job to refute that which was wrong, that when wrong teachers came amongst them. Elders have that job in local churches today. It was needed today and it was needed then. So who do they send? Well, they send Barnabas, a trusted and reliable leader. Verse 24 tells us he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. It's a great description, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to be described like that? So-and-so is a good man or a good woman, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That, my friends, 
is a great description. That would be something to aim for, for each of us, isn't it, to be described like that. How do you know that someone is full of the Holy Spirit, though? How, how can you tell? What's the evidence of being full of the Holy Spirit? Well, too often we can jump to gifts, can't we? we think, oh, well, so-and-so prophesies or, or speaks in tongues, therefore they must be full of the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, that's true. But actually, what the Bible talks about, well, it's gifts, it's fruit. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit, what should be seen in your life as a result of being full of the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Friends, they're the signs of being full of the Holy Spirit. Are you more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, kinder, etc.? If I was to ask those close to you, would that describe you? What would they say? Is that the fruit of God in your life? These are the signs of being full of the Holy Spirit. As I was reading through this this week and repenting, I think, oh, are these being seen in my life? Is this a sign for what God is doing in me? Is it for you? Barnabas, we're told, was a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I'm sure these characteristics were found in abundance in him. I preached earlier in the year, maybe you were around, on the subject of encouragement. And if any of you have ever spoken on or, or preached about encouragement, you would have mentioned Barnabas, I'm sure. And here's a tip. If you ever get asked to speak about encouragement, then mention Barnabas. And the reason is this. You see, Barnabas was Joseph. But his friends, they called him Barnabas. It's like a nickname for him. Do you know why? Because Barnabas means son of encouragement, means the one who encourages. So full of encouragement was Joseph that the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, which meant the one who encourages. And so full of the Holy Spirit was he that his encouragement was so much more than great words. It was a powerful prophetic gift. One thing that the prophetic does is to see the best in people, to call out of them what God has already put in them. My friend calls it calling out the gold that God has put in us. So who does Barnabas go and get to help teach and the disciple these new Christians? Who is it? Who does he go and get? Verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, or Paul, as we call him. 
Do you remember in Acts 7? Who was it that took Paul under his wing and introduced him to the apostles? Barnabas. And now, who is it that goes off to Tarsus to find Paul and bring him back to help teach and disciple these new Christians? It's Barnabas, yet again. And so they spend a year teaching the church and discipling these young Christians. See, Barnabas wasn't someone who was concerned about promoting himself. He wanted to pull others into the mission and get others involved. He wanted others to fulfill what God had for them. I wonder, does that describe you? Are you a Barnabas sort of character? Are you a Barnabas sort of character? Let's think for a moment about the Antioch church before we finish, because time is running away with us. The Antioch church, I think it's safe to say, was a world-changing church. It really was. They were the church who sent out their two best leaders on a church-planting adventure. Seeing the gospel go to a whole bunch of new places. They saw the mission that God had for them as a church and that God had for these individuals as more important than their own comfort or security. It would have been great to have Barnabas and Paul in the church and part of it. I'm sure they brought a lot of stability, a lot of encouragement, a lot of great teaching and discipleship. But the Antioch church was one that saw the bigger picture, that saw all that God wanted to do, not just what he was doing with them locally. So the Antioch church was a multicultural, gospel-focused, growing church. Wouldn't it be great if we could describe Jubilee like that? A healthy, godly, mission-minded, multicultural, gospel-focused, growing church. I would love that to describe us here in Derby. I would love that to describe Burton Family Church as we work hard to plant that church in Burton. and particularly thrilled about the new venue they're going to get in the new year. I'm not saying Antioch Church was perfect. No church has ever been perfect. And if you think you found the perfect church, might I suggest you probably haven't. Because none of us are perfect. Church is made up of imperfect people. But they're people that God has redeemed and is working in. It's true, isn't it? That's why God keeps speaking to us. That's why we're encouraged to put things right. I mean, it's fascinating, the, the dream that Paul had and then Tim had something so similar this morning, wasn't it? They both shared. Reminded me of what Jesus said in Matthew 5. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus was 
talking to his disciples there, talking to those who were listening to him, the crowds, by giving instruction about how they should relate to one another. Much the New Testament letters, a lot of it is instructions, how you relate to one another in the body of Christ. The Antioch church, for me, that's an instruction and that teaching as well. They weren't perfect and neither are we, but it's thrilling to see what God did with them. Wouldn't it be exciting to see what God might do with us? So if you'd like to be part of that sort of church, healthy, godly, mission-minded, multicultural, gospel-focused, putting relationships right type of growing church, then I want to encourage you to help us become that. So it doesn't happen by us sitting back and letting others do it, but rather it happens by all of us playing our part. It's not a comfortable church. It's not a sit back in the nice comfy chairs and take it easy type of church. It's a church where you see others as more important than yourself. Where gospel advance is of greater importance than personal comfort. But it's the sort of church that God loves and loves to bless. So I want to encourage us, friends. Let's be that sort of church. Amen? Can we stand together, please? And I'd like us to to pray together as we close. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.